0: What a powerful song, speaking of the powerful work that God does in our lives when he saves us, he changes us, he redeems us, and he keeps on working on us, and we praise him for that. We're here because of that, you're here, I am here, because of not only that he redeems, but he keeps on, he sanctifies, he is working on me, praise God for that. Our scripture reading will... Take a look at the short book, The Letter of Philemon, right before Hebrews in the New Testament. Titus, Philemon, in Hebrews. Read the whole book today, <laughs> all 25 verses. Would you stand with me in respect to the reading of God's Word? And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand even now. The ushers will bring one to you if you don't have your own. Reading Philemon. It's only one chapter, so we don't refer to the chapters. So I'm going to read aloud. ask you to follow along with me as I read. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and a church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appealed to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit pray that God to give us understanding in this section of scripture that we read today and that we'll be preaching through uh, this morning. <clears throat> let's take a, a moment out now for a time of prayer. After our prayer, um, we'll have a choir come and, and give us a song before the preaching of God's word. So let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. For your grace that has saved us, given us new hearts, given us the desire to walk with you, to fellowship with your believers, to bring glory to you in our lives, to seek your glory in all that we do. We would pray for the preaching of your word today, Lord, that you would help us to understand your truth and then. Help us in applying it in our lives, in the various aspects of our lives where the gospel has come into our lives and changed us, transformed us, changed our relationships with others. We pray that that might just be seen and that we might continue to let you work in that way so that you would change us, you would change others as well through the gospel. This gospel that speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ and him being our redeemer, the only redeemer for our sin, and he did that by dying on the cross and paying for our sin. He showed your approval of that by being raised from the dead by your power. He now sits in heaven praying for us, and we are waiting for his return. We just thank you for that gospel that has saved us and and caused us to to worship today and cause us to walk in obedience to you we're thankful lord for your blessing through the week we've had several who've been sick we met on wednesday and there were three there that couldn't stay to the end of the service because of sickness and we just thank you for bringing them here back here today we thank you for charmone and working to help heal in her body we thank you for megan and for dale and uh Praying, Lord, that you just continue that healing in each one of their bodies. We just thank you uh, for that that healing process that only you can can do, and only you can can make happen. We thank you for and pray for others, Lord, um, that you would just watch over and you would you would bless, and that you would you would uh, continue to help. Um, we uh, we do. Um, thank you for brian and heidi being back with us now after their ministry at uh, risen hope and uh we thank you for your word going out through them we thank you for pastor steve and and dawn coming back and we pray that they'd be refreshed and ready to minister your word we thank you for the grace partners and for daryl and his wife shelly coming back from brazil and uh ministering there and being able to minister yesterday in the in the uh seminar that we had for training us to be uh, counselors of your word. And so uh, we thank you for uh, both both Daryl and, and Bruce as they led that ministry. We pray that you would just bless um, the teaching of your word through that and allow us to be effective in, in um, um, being of help and a ministry to each other. Now we pray for the preaching of your word here, that you allow it to be effective for Christ's sake. Amen. Please be seated. Um, so, there are some promotional materials if you'd like to grab some uh, that are either on the back table or you can see either Brian or Jeremy and they can get you. Get some of these in your hand that you can pass out to promote that. And we don't have a problem promoting that which promotes Christ, that which promotes um, the work that is done here so that Christ can be exalted in the lives of his people. Uh, we also are looking forward to, in March, our 25th anniversary for our church. And so we'll be planning that so you can stay tuned for what's going to happen there and be ready to uh, celebrate what God has done in 25 years here in this work in this ministry. We also mentioned that the same weekend that we do black and white Christmas there are several there's the uh, two days to Friday and the Saturday and then on that Sunday we have our Grace Partners Christmas Fellowship and so we're going to need the just cooperation and the help of everybody. Uh, I've been mentioning this on, on Sunday night um, but some of you aren't there on Sunday night so I want to mention it today on Sunday morning so that you know you have heard it said we need your help so if you aren't already involved uh it's not too early and it's not certainly not too late to get involved in it you can see uh, me you can see several others to to see how you can be involved and help be of help in various ways for that whole weekend so we need you please come and and, uh, make yourself available for whatever needs to be done here at Sweet Communion all right, tonight, or excuse me, today we take a look at Philemon. And I can say I don't think I've ever preached through Philemon. So, um this is this is new. This is this is good. But then I've never preached through Colossians before. Uh preached through many many of of the books in our 25 years of ministry here and uh some of them I have kind of a parallel. Colossians is a parallel to Ephesians and so uh, some of those same things. I've preached through Ephesians at least several times. And uh, now we have the opportunity to walk through Philemon. I'm not sure if we're going to get through all of it today, but we're going we're to we're get started. We kind of had an introduction to Philemon as we've, as we've gone through Colossians, especially at the end of Colossians. One is we know that Paul, along with Timothy, wrote uh, letters He wrote a letter to that we call this book of Philemon. He also wrote two other letters that were sent along with this, the letter to Colossians or the church in Colossae and uh, uh, the letter of Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, uh, Ephesus uh, and, and Colossae being about 100 miles apart. And so he sent these three letters, the letter to Ephesians, the letter to Colossae, and a letter to the individual Philemon. He sent these three letters by the hand of two individuals. And they are mentioned, actually mentioned in, um, in Colossians. By, they are Tychicus and Onesimus. They are the deliverers, the carriers of these three letters. And so... Um, we can see that uh, they gave these letters to the various churches and uh, allowed them to be read. Now, so let's talk about a few individuals. We know Paul and Timothy. The the recipient of this letter, Philemon, who is he, as well as, as a few others that are key in this chapter, The main two characters really are Philemon and Onesimus. We already said Onesimus was one who delivered the letter, hand-carried it. Who was Philemon? Well, Philemon was a wealthy believer who lived in Colossae. And he had a church in his home along with his wife. In fact, his wife is mentioned in verse 2. Aphia, our sister, and Archippus was their son, we believe, uh, and he says, so Paul is writing to Philemon in the end of verse 1, our, fellow, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Philemon probably heard the gospel and was saved during Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus. We see that, in fact, we we looked at that last Sunday night in Acts chapter 19 and Acts chapter 20. Uh, We see the events that led up to that ministry in Ephesus. So um, Philemon probably encountered the gospel through Paul there in Ephesus, was saved, went back to Colossae, and helped start the church in Colossae. He happened to be a... uh, uh, a well-to-do businessman, and and, uh, so he began to minister the gospel there in Colossae. Now, he also had a servant named Onesimus, and that's where Onesimus comes in. Who is Onesimus? He's a, we would call a bond servant of Philemon. Now, it's interesting how uh, the Bible in general, and the New Testament specifically, uses the term servant. There's there's one Greek word that's used for that, but it has a range of meaning. The, the Greek word is doulos. It has a range of meaning. It could mean servant, it could mean bond-servant, or it could even mean slave. And those have three different meanings. We understand servant is, is very, just very close to, to our use of it today, even though we don't like to use that term. If you work for a person, you don't want them calling you their servant. We just, we just don't like that term. Um but employee will be a a, a a close term to that today. Um, bond servant is, is kind of a more restrictive term. The person who uh, was obligated to work, he worked for pay, but he was obligated to work for that person maybe because voluntary, because of debt, uh, uh, or because of poverty. He decided to uh, a, a link with this individual and he was employed and, and worked for pay for that person, and probably for an extended period of time, but it was a limited amount of time that a bond servant uh, would work. Now, slave is a whole different term, uh, especially in, a, in in the context of America. We understand the slavery that America went through in the seventeenth, eighteenth, and nineteenth century, and we know how wicked and how evil it was, and we still. Uh, feel the the impact and the effects of that, mainly because it was a racial slavery. It was slavery by race. It was if you had a a dark skin then you were automatically part of that slavery uh, uh, um, um, society and so we understand that fully. Uh, um, Although slavery in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, was much different than what we saw in the 17th, 18th, and 19th century in America. Uh, the brutality uh, and, and the viciousness uh, of slavery uh, here was much was was much more extreme in America than it was anywhere else, um, especially in the Roman and in the Greek culture. It um, the practice. For instance, in the Hebrew and the Roman culture, one might become a slave or a bond servant for a specific period of time and might even voluntarily uh, become a, a slave or a servant to escape poverty or to pay a debt. Some slaves were made slaves involuntary because of war and battle, and they, some were even born into slavery. We deal with this topic of slavery because the book of Philemon Deals with it in, in in a great sense. The Bible does not condone slavery or human trafficking. In fact, the Bible is even not neutral towards it, as some would say. The Bible directly condemns slavery. It views trafficking of human beings, forcing them into slavery as sin. Well, where do you see that? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 be one example of that 1 Timothy 1 8 through 10 read that now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully understanding this that the law is not laid down for the just but for the lawless and disobedient For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexual, immoral men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So in this wicked list of sin, it says enslavers. Enslavers were those who took people by force and put them into slavery or sold them into slavery. So the Bible condemns that practice, and it's consistent in that. Philemon was a bondservant. Excuse me, Philemon had a bondservant whose name was Onesimus. Onesimus was a bondservant of Philemon. And apparently Onesimus had run away from Philemon and probably even stolen some of his goods and some of his money and ran and hid away. He ran from Colossae all the way to Rome, and that's why we we, we think he probably stole not only goods but money so that he could make it there, travel, and live in Rome. He ran to Rome because Rome was the biggest city in the Roman Empire and it was easy to hide there. So he ran to Rome. Now think about this. He rebels from his household master, steals from him, and runs away to Rome to hide from him. Guess what happens in Rome? Well, God would have it that there would be a gospel preacher who was put in jail for preaching the gospel and they Shipped him all the way to Rome where he was imprisoned in Rome. He had some freedom while he was imprisoned there and he could speak the gospel and communicate and interact with people. And apparently, one of the persons that he interacted with while he was preaching the gospel in Rome was Onesimus. So, Paul, imprisoned in, in Rome, spoke the gospel to Onesimus. Years earlier, he would have been in Ephesus for three years, preaching the gospel to Philemon. At this point, he's preaching to Onesimus and doesn't quite know that Onesimus and Philemon are linked together until Onesimus begins to share a little bit more of his life. When Onesimus is saved from hearing the gospel from Paul, he begins to minister with Paul and to help Paul in getting the gospel. So here you go, a transformed life. In fact, if you haven't figured it out already, the whole, top, the, the whole uh, 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 topic, the main topic of Philemon is the transformation that the gospel makes in our lives and in our relationships. The gospel transforms our lives redeems our relationships. So Onesimus run away, stole from his his master and now is in Rome. He hears the gospel, he is saved, he is transformed, he now wants to help and and work in the gospel and he does that under Paul. Paul Paul begins to understand where a little bit about his, his history, his background, and as he begins to continue to minister the gospel in his life, and here's the important point. The gospel isn't something you just hear once and now, you know, yeah, I I, I like this thing about Jesus dying on the cross for my sins, and so yeah, sign me up for that. The gospel continues to transform our lives. And so uh, Onesimus realized from the gospel that he has to do something about the broken relationship that he ran away from. A lot of people think, well, you know, you know I'm just going to make a new life. I'm just going to run away from my past and not deal with it anymore. Onesimus doesn't do that. As he begins to hear the gospel, Paul speaks to him and says, Onesimus, man, <laughs> I know Philemon. You need to go back there. So Paul sends Onesimus back to Colossae with three letters, one that he's supposed to hand deliver to Philemon. And this... Is that letter? How does Paul start off? He says, identifies himself. You know, in a letter you have who who's writing it? To and from. I remember in the third grade, you used to write those little anonymous love letters to Donna from Brian. I love you. <laughs> P.S. <laughs> Meet me after school. <laughs> Well, the two is from Paul. He says he he identifies himself. I want you to notice how he identifies himself and how each person, each character is mentioned, how we know them. Paul is known as a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier. What's common in that? Here's what's common. They all are connected and related or have a term defining them in terms of how they are related in Christ. Did you get that? How they are related in Christ. Paul says, look, here's how I'm related. In Christ. I'm a prisoner for Christ. How's Timothy related to me? He's my brother in Christ. How about Philemon? you my beloved fellow worker. How about your wife? I don't even call her your wife. She's what? Our sister. And your son? He's a fellow soldier. The church in your house is who I'm directing this to. He goes on to give a greeting. Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. They come from God. He is related to us as our father. Jesus Christ. The relative term there is the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a letter about a master, a bondserv, a prisoner who writes it and the Lord Jesus Christ. What does Lord mean? Sovereign, one in control. One that I answer to, one who is in control of my life, one to whom I give account to, one who has rule over me, the Lord Jesus Christ. What this says is that the gospel has transformed our relationships. When you receive the gospel, your identity changes. For good, actually. But it changes in a drastic way. You know, when I was a kid, we all had, not all of us, but several had nicknames. And some try to get away from nicknames. That's why, you know, when you, when you go to a family reunion or a wedding or a funeral, you know, you see that cousin you ain't seen in 30 years, you know. I see a company, hey, Wink, Wink, Who is Wank? That's my cousin. That's the only thing I know about him. I had a cousin who died two weeks ago. We called him Tubby. Tubby. I didn't even know his real name. (laughs) He was 60 years old. Because all we called him was Tubby. Now, I can imagine where he got that name from. I was younger in the family, so I didn't really know where the nickname derived from. But we had a lot of nicknames. And sometimes those nicknames latch on to you, and even though you try to get away from them, they, your, your old family, they remember them, and they, they, they link that back to you. When you become saved, you get a new identity. It's not just about your physical traits or some habit that you had that people labeled you for. But now it is who you are as a result of your connection to Christ. Paul saw himself gladly as a prisoner of Christ. He didn't say, you know, I'm in jail. I didn't do nothing wrong. Let me out of here. You know, writing to everybody, protesting and just trying to get. He said, no, I don't like being in prisoner, prison. It's not a pleasant place to be in, but I recognize God put me here, and he put me in here for a purpose, and I'm going to use it for his glory. And as a result of that, we see a ministry to Onesimus. And as Paul writes to Philemon, he's reminding him, reminding Philemon, I am a prisoner. I am serving and suffering for Christ. He is my identity. He defines all that I am. He reminds Philemon of who he is. You're our beloved fellow worker. I'm going to come back to that term a little later. He reminds them all of how they're connected to God. Verse 3, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, he recalls the friendship that he has with Philemon. Verses 4 through 7, he has thankful memories I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. He remembered Philemon and he's thankful for Philemon. This is what the gospel does. It, it produces pleasant memories <laughs> in our lives. Now, all of us don't have pleasant memories in our past. In fact, each of us probably have something unpleasant in our past. But the gospel has its way of, of working in us so that that past Your past isn't changed, but the way you look at it is now changed, because you know God was in control of that, and he's brought you to where you are right now. He thought about Philemon with a pleasant ministry, with a pleasant memory, I should say. He was prayerful uh, to God for Philemon. Look what he mentions, his love and his faith. He says, verse 5, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. He has a love towards Jesus and that includes and means and and brings about a love for all the saints. Now, Paul is just not saying this uh, uh, flippantly. He knows that Philemon has been saved, Philemon has trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior, Philemon loves the Lord Jesus, and Philemon loves the saints, he's about to introduce to another saint to Philemon that he didn't know about, that he's going to love too. Not a new person, but it's a new person to Philemon in a relationship, it's Onesimus, Onesimus Philemon knew about, but now Onesimus is one of the saints. He's saying to Philemon, you love Christ, you love all the saints. I'm going to introduce you to another saint. He recalls, verse 7, much joy and comfort that Philemon has given to Paul. He reminds him, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. He reminds Philemon, hey, man, we got this love going on between us. I love you, and you love me. Your love has provided much joy and comfort to me, and I appreciate that, he's saying. He says the saints have been refreshed by Philemon. It shows the, the change that the gospel has had in Philemon's life. He's been a blessing to the saints. He started a church. The church now meets in his home in Colossae, in Philemon's home, because Philemon is saved. When God comes into our homes, I think our homes need to change some, don't you? (laughs) I think our TVs need to change a bit, don't you? I think the games that we have on our video games need to change a bit, don't you? (laughs) Let me keep on going, right? (laughs) Everything changes. Everything changes. In verses 8 through 11, we see Paul's plea. He started an introduction. Now he gets into the meat of his letter about what he's writing about. And he starts it this way. Verse 8, accordingly... Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. He says to Philemon, I could give you a directive and a command, and I will be right in doing that and in my rightful place to do that, to command you to do something that is right. But I'm not going to take that approach with you, Philemon. He says, for love's sake, I'm going to make an appeal to you. Paul is saying here, Philemon, I have the authority to command you. And Paul had that authority. He was an older man. He was a man in the faith. He was a seasoned man in the faith. He was an apostle and writer of scripture. He had, he had authority from God to speak the word of God authoritatively. But he chose not to use that authority to influence Philemon's behavior. He didn't want to just influence his behavior. He wanted to change his heart he says, I appeal to you for love's sake. Paul is saying here, look, Philemon, I appeal to you, first of all, because I love you. So I'm writing this not to lord over you, to boss you around. I'm writing this because I love you. And, it, and I'm saying, brother, let you realize I love you. I'm not trying to 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 make you look bad. I'm not trying to shame you into something. I'm appealing to the love, first of all, that I have for you. Look at verse 1. He refers to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. You greatly loved Philemon. And that was something I would imagine Philemon wouldn't dare question. It was something that was genuine. It was something that was real. Philemon had heard the gospel from Paul, and it had changed his life. He says, so first of all, I appeal to you because I love you. For love's sake, I appeal to you. Secondly, I appeal to you because I love him, Onesimus. I love Onesimus. Paul is saying, look at verse 10, if we jump ahead, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became, so he said, Philemon, can I talk to you a moment, can I talk to you a moment, I got something really important to talk to you about, it's about my son, I love my son, I want to talk to you about him so I appeal to you for love's sake because I love you because I love Onesimus I, I, I appeal to you for love's sake because you love me It's a reciprocal love verse 7 he says, I I have derived much joy and comfort from your love so he reminds Philemon that you love me and that's why I'm able to come to you this way I'm not trying to 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 give you a command, but based on the love I have for you, the love I have for Onesimus, and the love I know you have for me, I prefer, I could have gone the other route, but I prefer to appeal to you. And then fourthly, I think he's saying this because of love's sake, I appeal to you because you love the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is that means something. That that, that impacts how you think and how you're going to approach about what I'm about to say. I love you. I love Onesimus. You love me. You love Jesus Christ. And because you love Jesus Christ, as I mentioned earlier, you love the saints. Look at verse 5. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. He says, I'm appealing you for love's sake because you love the Lord Jesus and that includes me and all of his saints. Isn't it interesting Paul reminds Philemon that Philemon loves Paul. He reminds him, Paul. He's, he reminded Philemon, and said, look man, you love me because you love the Lord Jesus and you love all the saints and you love me. Let me introduce you to another saint that you love as well. I'm appealing to you on the basis of love. And all of this is wrapped up. Why? Why is it that Paul loves Philemon? Why is it that Paul loves Onesimus? Why is it that Philemon? Philemon loves Paul back. And why is it that Philemon loves the Lord Jesus Christ? It's because the love of God has come down into their life through the gospel. And it explodes. It impacts all areas of our life. There's some folks that I don't feel like loving that the gospel just, I can't be uh, uh, unloving towards them because of the gospel in me. But even more than that, it's some folks that are very close to me. That the gospel commands my actions towards them because of love. In fact, there's a key term here. When he talks about his appeal, let me skip a verse and go down to verse 13. I'll come back to 11 and 12. But verse 13 says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Verse 14, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness not, might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So he's appealing to philemon he says look i'm appealing to you because i'm not trying to force you to do something i want you to do what you're going to do what i'm asking you to do willingly because you desire to do it you consent to this not that i tricked you into it not not that i forced you to do it but that you've done it you want to do it you know what this means is that the gospel changes our hearts and therefore changes our will when the Word of God is preached, it's, 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 not a, a, uh, it's not a guilt complex that has you do what you do. Or it shouldn't be a guilt complex that has you do what you do. It is your love for God that has you respond the way that God wants you to respond. Anything else doesn't really bring glory to God. And so Paul says, I'm appealing to you because I want you to be a willing participant. Your behavior is going to be changed because your heart is changed. Not you're doing something that you don't really want to do, but because Paul asked me, I guess I'll do it. No, I'm going to do this. I'm I'm doing this in such a way that you'll respond because your heart is changed. That's what Paul is getting at here. Now in verse 11, is a very key verse. It really shows us what the gospel does, the power of the gospel to transform us. He refers to Onesimus. He says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. There's a play on words there in more ways than one. He says, the useless has become the use- useful. Guess what the name Onesimus means? Yeah, useful. His name means useful. Useful. He's saying, before, when he ran away and stole from you, he was useless. Now, you could've, he could have done it. Look, uh, Philemon could have gone whatever how they would have done it in their society, he could have gone to police station and filed a report and said, hunt that dude down. When you find him, bring him back here, and he's going to jail. He would have been right within the law to do that. Onesimus was useless to him. But now he is useful not only to Philemon, but Paul says he's useful to me. See, Paul has already experienced that. Onesimus was already ministering with him and showing his usefulness and his changed character because of the gospel. And now Paul had sent Onesimus back to Philemon and reminded Philemon what the gospel does. The gospel has made this dude who was useless, now he's useful. That's what the gospel Does that work in all our lives? I think that's a key verse in this whole letter, verse 11. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Let's look more at how the gospel transforms us, how it reconciles our relationships. Well, we see in this verse, it changed him from being useless to useful. In verse 12, he says, I'm sending him back to you. So, the gospel transforms from the inside out. It was a great class that we had yesterday talking about counseling and, and how effective counseling works. Effective counseling to be effective. changes is not just somebody's behavior or pattern. A lot of people say, well, you know, I, I got this going on and I need this to change. Usually they point at somebody else. I need her to change. I need him to change. I want you to change that person's behavior. School. A kid acts up in school. And he won't sit still and and won't respond right to his his classmates. And so what do we do? We want to change his behavior. We want to calm him down so we pump him with drugs, basically. And now he's much better. So you've quieted his behavior, but you haven't changed his heart. When a drug wears down, what happens? Go back to the same behavior. Gospel doesn't work that way. The gospel works from the inside out. Inside meaning the heart, which is the core of our uh, it's what reflects our behavior. Our behavior is driven by our heart. When our heart is changed, our behavior automatically changes. And so, that's what the gospel does. It transforms from the inside out. Onesimus has been changed. He was a thief And a runaway. And the gospel has changed him now to where, guess what? Paul isn't sending him back in chains. You get that? Onesimus went back willingly carrying a letter. Paul had talked to him, and we don't know all the details of what he said, but he he said, Onesimus, this is what the gospel looks like in your life. He could have said, well, no, no, Paul, man, I want to stand wrong with you and preach the gospel here. I don't know about Onesimus, man. I mean, I don't know about Philemon. I don't know what he's going to do to me when I get back there. You say he's saved, but I don't know about all that, man. I'm standing right here. No, here's how the gospel looks in your life. Go back. Allow the power of God to work in that relationship that needs to be reconciled. And see God's power work. So Onesimus goes back with this letter. He goes back willingly. Remember the approach that Paul is taking with Philemon. He says, look, I'm not trying to force you to do something. I want you to do it from a changed heart. I think that same approach has gone on with Onesimus. And so now Onesimus goes back willingly with this letter in hand to talk to Philemon. So the gospel has changed Philemon excuse me, has changed Onesimus from the inside out. The gospel has changed Philemon from the inside out. I don't know what kind of master he was, but he's a different, he's going to be a different person now as we see this letter come through. The gospel has changed Paul. Paul. He says in verse 13, I'd be glad to keep him for my own benefit. But now I'm not working for my benefit. I'm working to be a help to others. So verse 13, he says this, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was departed from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Paul is willing to send somebody who's valuable, who's useful to him, back in his history and lose the impact of that person so that Philemon could be restored with him and so that Philemon could, again, gain the benefit of a restored relationship. Paul's going to lose out on, on that deal, so to speak. He's losing a, a, a good helper, but he's willing to do that. The gospel has changed him to be from being a taker to be a giver. And then we see how the gospel has reconciled relationships. It reconciles Philemon and Onesimus. It transforms the relationship of master to servant to relationship of brother to servant. To brother. You know, we talk a lot in, in, in this country about race relationships or race relations and how key they are. In our city we talk a lot about them and we do a, a lot to try to change that but we have to recognize that deep down the only thing that actually changes that is a change of the heart. Now there are certain laws that I think we need to have to be a civil society. but we also recognize that laws do not change the heart. What we need is a heart change, and only the gospel can provide that. So we need to be preaching, not just warm race relations, what we need to be preaching is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that changes each person that it touches. It would change a person like Philemon to where he may have been abusive, he may have disregarded the, the care and the concern of, of, of his servant, he may have looked at this individual as belonging to him, to now he looks at this individual as belonging to God. And he looks at him as a fellow brother in Christ. It changes Onesimus. You know, Philippians four twenty eight says, Let him that stole steal no more, but let him rather work with his hands that he might have to give. Onesimus now is coming back repenting of his stealing, not just saying I'm sorry, but saying, look, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, not just to make this right, but I'm going from here to now take the thing that I did to take advantage of people. Now I help people. I give of my own self to be a help to individuals. Why? Because the gospel has transformed my life And we see it now, it reconciles relationships. Now here, in this case, it's two believers that are being reconciled. Probably when they last met, I don't know if either one of them were believers, but now they both are believers and it, it demands a changed relationship. it would change how Philemon looks at Onesimus, we mentioned that, but also changes how Onesimus looks at Philemon. Paul talks about that in Colossians. He says, hey, the gospel impacts not only masters in how you treat those who work for you, but servants, how you treat those who are your attitude towards those who you work for. Now, I think the master-slave relationship is totally dramatically changed under when two people are believers. But the employer-employee relationship is maintained in such a way that there is a right and healthy respect. Paul Paul's saying that just because you're an employee and you have a, a believing employer doesn't mean you take advantage of them. And you don't do the job that you're being paid to do. But in fact, it means that you work as unto the Lord, he said in Colossians. You you recognize that it is the Lord that you work for. It's the Lord that you must give account to. And so you are a diligent, hard worker because of your faith in Christ. So it transforms how they do their job. It transforms their relationship as well. Verse 17, so if you consider me, well, excuse me, Verse 16, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. This is the changed relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. (laughs) I like what what Paul says. Look at verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. (laughs) Paul says, Philemon... I know you love me, I know you respect me, and I know we have done the gospel work together. He calls him, what does he call him in in verse 1? Our beloved fellow worker. In verse 17, he calls him a partner. You consider, consider me your partner. Receive him as you would receive me. And he says this, if he has wronged you at all, and that kind of implies that there had been something that was, that's gone on, for him to travel all the way from Colossae to Rome, it's a long distance, and, and, and he probably stole some money to make that trip. You know, in our day, he probably stole a car with some cash and a, and a debit card and whatever else he could get his hands on to make that trip and then got there and, and, and you know, lived on it for a little while. So he, he, did, he did some wrong. He did some wrong to Philemon. Paul says, I appeal to you on behalf of our relationship that you forgive him. And in fact, he says, not just forgive him, but I'll pay it back. If he owes you anything, charge that to my account. Paul says, "I'm signing this letter. <laughs> it's like you signing every receipt at the end of the at the end of the uh you know after you after you go to the restaurant and they give you the bill and you sign it with your card." Paul says, "I'm signing this letter. I'll pay it." Then I like what he says. He says, <laughs> he says uh, I will repay verse, the end of verse 19 to say nothing of your owing me even your own self." <laughs> He's saying, "Brother, we want to talk about debt. Don't forget what you owe me." <laughs> now he's not saying that in 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a bad way, but he's saying, "Look, brother, let's think about our relationship. You are internally, in essence, in debt to me, and so don't go off. You know, remember, remember Matthew eighteen, the story that Jesus talked, the parable he talked about that there was a servant who had been forgiven of so much money." He couldn't pay it, so, so the master forgave him of all of it. And then he went off with a, with a servant that owed him just a little bit, threw the dude in jail, wouldn't let him out until he paid the whole thing. Paul is basically saying that, look, if you think he owes you something, you probably owe me even more. Let's make some applications here. Paul himself has been transformed by the gospel. Previously, before he got saved, he was free. He could travel where he wanted to. He traveled to Damascus. And what did he do in Damascus? He went there with the full intention of dragging and hauling people to jail. And not just anybody, but people who believed the gospel. That's who he wanted to carry to jail. Look at the change in his life now. Now, he's the one. <laughs> that travels a long way, not of his own accord. He's he's he travels that long way because he's been taken to jail in Rome, to court and in jail, and now he's imprisoned because of the gospel. In verse one and in verse nine. In verse one he says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. It's like a badge of honor that he wears. He says, this is, this is a testimony to the impact and the transformation the gospel has. I once was trying to put people in jail for the gospel. Uh, uh, and now I am in jail because of the gospel, and I'm proud of it. In verse 9, he, he reminds him again. He says, yet yeah, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now in prison. When I was young, I was trying to throw people in jail. Now I'm old. And I'm in jail myself for that very same gospel. The gospel has transformed my life. The gospel transforms our lives. It reconciles our relationships. Is the gospel transforming you? Has it transformed you, and is it transforming you? Is it ongoing in you? Is the gospel reconciling relationships in your life? Let's talk about a few of them on the job. Does the gospel have anything to say and impact the relationship you have with your boss? Now you say, he ain't a believer. I didn't ask if he was or not. doesn't matter. Has the gospel transformed you and impacted the relationship that you have with your job, with your boss? How about your coworkers? And how about those who work for you or under you? Has the gospel transformed your relationship with them? Has it changed the way that you look at them? even though other people might, in your same position, might look at them in one way, does the gospel dictate and transform how you view them now? Does the gospel transform relationships in your home, your husband, your wife? Has the gospel spoken to you about how that relationship needs to be impacted How about your parents? Whether you're in the home now, or whether your parents, you're no longer under their home, has the gospel, is it transforming, is it working, is it impacting your relationships? How about your children? Is the gospel impacting your relationship with your children? Maybe your children are adult children. Gospel change how you view them, how you look at them, how you interact with them, how you think of them? How about in the community? Has the gospel impacted your attitude towards women? Maybe you are a womanizer? As the gospel changed in how you look and how you view and how you think of women before we were saved we had a whole different opinion we could hear it in our culture's music now of how they view like we once viewed but as the gospel transformed our thinking that now we think differently men about women how about women about men as the gospel transformed your thinking from the feministic view of hating men that spewed over so much stuff as the gospel transformed you to where you no longer think the gospel now impacts how you think of men the gospel didn't change your past but it changes your attitude towards it. The gospel didn't change what happened between Onesimus and Philemon. didn't change any of their past, but it now impacts how they think of each other now. Is the gospel making that kind of change in you? Has the gospel impacted the change of your relationship with children once you were an abuser of children? Does the gospel change how you look at them, how you think about them, and how you act towards them? Is it impacting and transforming your life on a continual basis to renew your mind, to remind you of what is right and drawing you to that because of the love of God that's exploded in your life? that your old ways that still haunt and still try to tempt you are are being pushed aside by the power of the gospel. It's changing how you view people. Is the gospel changing the way that you look at people in general? No longer instruments and tools for your bidding and what you want to accomplish, But now you see yourself as a tool, a servant, an instrument to help God impact and change others. They're no longer rungs on the ladder for you to climb wherever you want to go. They are now the objects of ministry that you see that God wants you to help. Has the gospel changed your view of individuals? Then how does the gospel change how you view authorities? You once was a rebel, a criminal, one who hated authority, had a disdain, rejected anybody who told you what to do. But now the gospel changes that attitude. The gospel transforms that attitude. You may have been wronged by authority and think that the attitude that you have was justified, but the gospel begins to break that down and change that and impact that. To where we were former abusers. We looked at the elderly as someone who was prey, and now we look at them as someone we should help and minister the gospel transforms our thinking about people, our relationships that we have with everybody. I used to ride down the street and I would just look at people and pick them apart. Look at him, how he dressed. Look at her, how she looked. The gospel transforms our thinking now. And it constantly, because, you know, those ideas are still there, but the gospel comes and it's filters that and says, is that the way God would look at that person? Just because you don't like the color of the pants that they have on or don't think it matches, does that, does that impact everything about that person? Is that the way God really wants you to view that person? That person's hair isn't the way you want or, or their weight or their body shape isn't isn't what you think it should be? Does that now change? Is God for whittling down and and impacting how you look at people and then how you're related to people even people as I mentioned authorities she's my boss I can't stand her she thinks she dressed so well does it change now how you look at that person it should be changing that. it should be impacting that in so many different ways and does the gospel impact our relationships in the church (laughs) relationships in the church those who correct you I hope you don't say another word to me (laughs) does the gospel change and impact your heart and how you think about them Does does it change the way you think about those who irritate you it's it's strange, you know. Somebody can just clear their throat in a wrong way and it just irritates us. I can't stand the way they do that. He got a cold, he should blow his nose. <laughs> Those who irritate us, does the gospel change the way that we look at that? Mothers, does the gospel change the way you look at dirty diapers? <laughs> It's never going to be a joy, but it begins to help you to see that God has placed you in a role and in a place as a servant with a servant's heart to minister. Some people run away from the nursery, never serve in the nursery. Don't you realize the gospel ought to impact you, to change you, that you want to minister so that others can be blessed by the gospel? And it makes you a more selfless person than a selfish person. The gospel impacts the way you think about others. You want to clean the church instead of complain about those who left something behind. The gospel impacts every part of our lives. And it changes us from the inside out it transforms our heart and begins to reconcile our relationship every last one of them gospel still working on us it needs to be working on us and keep working on us father we thank you for your word we thank you for this book about relationships we can only imagine how drastically the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus must change. And Paul wisely and skillfully challenged them both to consider their relationships in light of their relationship with Christ. That that changes everything. We pray, Lord, that we'll receive that same challenge. You not let us forget. You continue to work on our hearts you continue to challenge us, shape us, move us in the direction you want us to go so that we become your servants. See you as Lord and every of our, every area of our life is open to your lordship. We pray that this impact of the gospel will be seen and be fruitful and evident in our lives, so that others can come to the gospel and be transformed by it. For those who need that gospel, we each need that gospel. For those who need to trust in Christ who haven't done it yet, we pray you'll speak to their hearts and you would even speak through us. They see the gospel in us Wanna, and be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this now in Jesus' name.